How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Very nice. It's so nice to be here tonight. It is nice, isn't it? It's lovely, Mark. It's lovely. And then Bernipotent there in the booth. Hello, Ben. And we got howdy, howdy. right here. Happiness. Ah. How to be happier. Yes. And we're bringing on an author to talk about it a little bit more. We are. Lisa Schumat. Schumate. Lisa Schumate. No, no, not Schumate. Schumate. Spell, you could pronounce it Schumate, but uh, that would be wrong. And, I, <laughs> and that may not I've make been it wrong very, before. Might not make her very happy. Yeah. It's Lisa Schumate. Schumate. Uh, Schumate. From Houston, Texas. From Houston, Texas. She's going to. Head of the tech Houston, yeah, uh, University of Houston School System. She's right? got quite uh, a remarkable mm. resume. We can just talk about that for a moment. Um, but her book is called Always and Never. Always and Never. 20 Truths for a Happy Heart. Isn't that lovely? And there's a companion journal that goes along with it. And the companion journal is just that. So it's a book that is asking you to really write your thoughts down. Um, because, you know, there's a difference between speaking and writing, obviously. But when you write, you really have to be more thoughtful. It's actually a fun book. The, yes. um, the main book has uh, just quick little tidbits mm -hmm. to help help you through truth number five always do as you say you will yep never undermine the trust others place in you and, by not keeping your word and this is so exactly what we've been talking about uh, for so long respect with the i am yes but the i am respect. what is the i am what is, i'm so glad you asked mm. you know that that actually makes me quite happy good well, happiness is the key to happiness. Happiness. <laughs> Just checking if you're paying attention. Happiness is the key to happiness. Yeah, Mark, it's true. It's deep. <laughs> it's <laughs> about as deep as a puddle. <laughs> so, so, the, so for the listeners, though, who, the are, listeners. who are tuning in for the first time right. or for those who have listened a bunch and are just not certain what the I am is. Right. So the I am, the I am is the idea that we are always doing the best we can. It is my current maximum potential. This is who I am. And unfortunately, in our world, so many people put themselves down or think they're not doing the best they can and that they should be doing better. And think about, you know, what really happens to you when you have that thought process and that approach. But the I am is saying, you know, let's rethink this. We are survival animals. We are machines designed to survive, these remarkable, remarkable human beings. And my belief is that we are always adapting to our environment. We might not always get it right, but we're always doing the best we can. And that is your I am. And the I am is influenced by four domains. Your home domain. I don't think anyone's going to argue that your home has had an influence on who you are. Uh, in my field in psychiatry, we look at that a lot in people. We look at how their past is influencing their choices right now in the present. So your home domain, 
the social domain, which is everything other than your home. It's us being here at ATD. It may be you driving in your car as you're listening right now. It's being at work, being at school. It's, you know, going bowling. It's doing everything outside the home domain. So those two domains are outside. The two internal domains, your biological domain of your brain and body. Am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I digesting my lunch? And then what I call the IC domain. How do I see myself, but how do I think other people see me? Mm-hmm. And really think about that. We are all really interested in what other people think or feel. We call that empathy. You know, we wonder, you know, how's that person feeling? But honestly, folks, we, what we really want to know, what are you thinking about me? Right. We are always interested, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And sometimes it's completely unconscious. Sometimes we're not even aware of it. But we are assessing how we think other people see us. From a shrinky, you know, technical point of view, that biological ability of our brain is something that has evolved over millions of years, and it has a terrible clunky name, theory of mind. Mm -hmm. We can't see someone's mind, so we have to guess and theorize. What are they thinking or feeling? What are they thinking about me? So the I am is saying that we are responding all the time to these four domains the best we can. My current maximum potential, doing the best I can at this moment with the potential to change. It doesn't mean you have to like your I am. It doesn't mean you have to condone it and say it's okay. It's not a free ride because you're going to be held responsible no matter if it's your best or not. You're still going to be held responsible. Right. And unfortunately, it doesn't even mean you're going to be successful. And for me, success is when you love going to work and you love going home. And I just, you know, just think about that from your own lives. Isn't that success? Absolutely. I mean, what more is there? You love going to work and love going home. That's the root of happiness. Yep. And I believe that the reason people love going to work or love going home is because they feel valued there. And that's what we really want. So the I am is saying, instead of judging ourselves and others as less than or broken, let's look again at why we do what we do. And if you really think about those words, look again, again, look, again, like to repeat something, look like a spectator, the I am is saying, let's respect why we do what we do. When's the last time you got angry at someone treating you with respect? I don't think that's possible. It is not possible. That's right. You are absolutely right. And you know why that is? Because anger is an emotion designed to change things. Right. And I wrote about that in a book of mine called Outsmarting Anger, which I'm very honored to say won the 2013 Books for Better Life Award, the best psychology book of 2013, because it's this really fascinating concept, this idea, you know, When's the last time you got angry at someone treating you with respect? And when you really think about that, that means that respect becomes this critical, critical tool that we have as human beings in how we can influence other people. Because it is respect that leads to value. Mm. And that's what everybody wants. Think about every person you met in your life. They want the same thing, just to feel valued by someone else. Right. And what's cool is that at every and any moment in time, you can remind someone of their value by treating them with respect. And when you remind someone of their value, you increase your own value. People want to be around people who make them feel valuable. They want you to be part of your group. I want you in my group because you make me feel good. And then 
from a very deep biological point of view, we feel safer as human beings because we are social animals. It was very important for us to be part of a group. So respect is what leads to value. Value leads to trust. And trust is the antidote to fear and anger and sadness. Right. And that's why we feel safer when we trust someone because we know that they're not going to judge us and potentially kick us out of our protective group. So the I am, I really believe it. And I believe that you can live your life like this so easily. It's not, not that hard to do. And the cool thing about the I am is because the four domains, the home, social, biological, and I see, how I see myself, how I think other people see me, because they interact, a small change in any domain can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything. Right. Small changes can have a ripple effect through the whole system. And one of the challenges that we ask people to do on the Dr. Joe show, and you can certainly write in, is what small change do you want to make? Yep. What small change can you make in any one of the domains and begin anticipating how will that influence the other domains? You know, it may be, I mean, I tell you, for me, one of the small changes was about a year ago when my wife, Carol, reminded me that my daughter, Sophie, and my other kids had given me a book, The Eye Diet, ah. by Susan Roberts. So I started reading it. Small change. And now, I, you know, once a month, I think I make the announcement. This month, 206. Good for you, buddy. Right? I was like 270-something. Yeah. Right? Yep. And that small change influenced my IC domain. Right? So I made a small change in biological domain. I, I just read this woman's book, and we, we were fortunate enough to have her on the show. So it's a great, great book. It's not restrictive. It doesn't hurt you. It, for me, it tapped right into the whole interest in biology and who we are as, as survival machines. So that small change influenced my IC domain. I feel better about myself. Because I feel better about myself, it actually affects the way I am at work. Because you know? I love going to work. I really, I've always loved going to work, mm -hmm. I must admit. But now my patients are going, hey, you're, are you losing weight? Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is fascinating. They say, how did that happen? Because a lot of them need to lose weight too. So, Dr. Roberts, hope you don't mind, but yeah. I continue to endorse your book. I think it's a wonderful thing. So that affected my home domain. How? Because my kids are so happy because they think, well, their dad's going to be around a little bit longer. Yeah. So let's introduce our, our guest, well, Dr. Joe. Welcome, Lisa Shumate. It is delightful having you here, author of Always and Never. And this is the companion, but there's, oh, wait, is this the companion? No, this is oh, that's the, the companion, companion journal. The companion journal, which lets you write. So one of the most influential quick reads I've it's ever like done. It's like the and chicken soup for the soul it's kind like chicken, of yeah. flipping through oh. and... Yeah. Huh? So You're welcome. Just be a higher compliment than that. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate it. You but are. That's, what, that's immediately what it reminded me of is just flipping through and getting these nuggets of, you know, happiness. Right? Yeah. So tell us a bit about, about the book and how, how did you come up with the concept? And let's just go from there. Well, you know, I've always been in media and I've always loved to write. And I um, have two children. I'm, my husband and I have been married 36 years. And there comes that time where the kids are ready to go off on their own. And you start thinking, you know, have I told them everything uh, they need to know? What, what kind of positive encouragement can I give them? 
So I started to write down seven truths to your future. Hmm. And at the time, I was relatively new as a manager and it tended to be very work focused. And so I'd pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down. And then I decided, you know what? This generation of kids now, because now my children are older, really see their lives all together. You know, they don't see work life and home life. And I thought to really reach them, I had to talk about the whole person. Hmm. So then I really just went to words that are universally important to everyone. You know, truth, trust, love, forgiveness. And then I thought about the always and the never for each one of those words. I don't know why we have been reluctant to use words like always and never, but to me, those set up the guardrails for the highest you know, uh, possible life and happiness because they give you control. If you know what you're always going to do and what you're never going to do around these things, you're going to set a high standard. You're going to keep reaching for that standard. You're going to see how much control and that the way you react to things you have. And I believe that equals happiness. Hmm. So that's, that's how it came about. And there's no gray area with always and never. It's not sometimes and oftentimes. It's always and never. I just don't think there's joy in gray. Yeah. I think the joy is when you're full in committed and when you can just be, when you can just say, no, you know, that isn't going to um, make me upset. And also, what I find in our world today, we're very data, 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 right, in business. But data, when you think about yourself, are you going to let data, meaning I didn't make a good grade, meaning my marriage didn't work out, meaning I got fired from a job, are you going to let that data inform your future? Are you going to say, okay, I still see big things for me. I'm going to keep getting up every day to make that happen. And that's another thing I feel like the encouragement, the fact that you have control, that there's so many positive things in life. I felt like we had to come back to that. And that is an internal journey. Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. I, you know, one of the things we talk about in the I am is um, you control no one, you influence everyone. But, but it is saying that you are absolutely you know, the person in charge of your journey. Yeah. You know, you can be influenced by other people, but they're not going to control you any more than you can control other people. And you get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. And that's what I really liked about the book is because it is really promoting such a wonderfully positive, humane, interactive influence. I mean, it really is. Thank you. And you know what else I believe? So the happy heart is really, and joy are not just about you, but when you are in that state of being happy and in control of your life, you really have the capacity to lift up others. Now, just think about that for a minute. If more people were in a position to not only feel happiness, control, contentment about their life, but that they were able, because of that, help others and and Lisa, I think that's the kind of thing we all want to want to strive for and I and I I think um, that it is easy to do 
It really is, and it, it's it's something we strive for to do on a regular basis. And I, I, I wish we didn't have to strive; that it was just natural. And I think part of it is natural because one of the other things we talk about with the IM is because everybody wants to feel valuable. And think about it: think about every person you met in your life. The common thread among all of them is they just want to feel valued by somebody else. And what's cool is that at every and any moment in time, you can remind someone of their value. That's right. And whenever you remind someone of their value, you increase your own value. That's right. And everyone wants to feel valuable. So I think I would love people to do that always. Mm. That's an always. And, you know, just the idea that you see other people. I think a lot of people go through life feeling invisible. So true. And um, because maybe they have been, have some setbacks or what have you that, they feel just the rest of the world's in great shape and they're alone. So that's another thing that, I, that I'm hoping this book will help with, and especially the journal, that you can start with, okay, well, what do I have going on in my life? And I don't need to think about my life in the way this person defines me. Who am I listening to? What am I watching? What am I reading? In the journal, one of the exercises at the back of the book is to put a, together a Spotify playlist of songs that make you happy. Hmm. Uh, there's also a, a link to a Saturday Night Live skit where people are taking crying breaks and listening to Adele music. You know, I mean, of course, it's an exaggeration of the idea. But you really can, just things like that can help put you in a better place to face the day. Mm-hmm. And it's contagious. It sure is. It is contagious. And happiness can be contagious. Right, right. And, and I mean, we're, Both we're, ways. We're, 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 we are, unfortunately, at a time where we really need a book like this. Yeah. And isn't there something sort of sad about that, that we have to guide people on how to be happy? What do you think about that? Well, you know, I hate to kind of make a generalization about that because I'm inspired by a lot of young people I meet. Mm. But, you know, we know that research has backed up that the judgment center of the brain is the last to develop, mm. right, into your 25. I mean, I don't think it's an accident mm. that car insurance goes down at 26 right. because statistically you're having less car accidents and because your judgment is better, that's right. right? And not not, no. not not to bring something, but, but my wife would, would say that actually mine... Mine is still developing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sweetheart. That's probably a lot sweetheart. of wives that say that. That's right. It makes me happy. But, but you're absolutely right. The, the prefrontal cortex is among the last parts of the brain to develop. Go ahead. Yeah. So if you are going that first time, you're out on your own, and you're between, whether it's right after high school or right after college, and you're not even 25, you're doing a lot at a time where you've gotten maybe that degree, maybe you have the job, maybe you have a roommate, but the rest of the stuff you're still navigating on your own. Mm -hmm. So I think there's always been a need for some just basic go internal now. And and what's different I think about now is it's so reactive. Mm. We're reacting constantly because there's so much information coming at us from all channels. Whereas when I was growing up, you know, there weren't so many choices in media. I didn't have a phone showing me what everybody else was getting to do and what I wasn't doing. And 
that isolation piece that wasn't there. We went to places to be with each other. We couldn't do it electronically. So you combine that, the reactive nature set up, and you can see where we do need to encourage everyone to take that internal journey about knowing who they are. When you know who you are, you are ready to have a challenge and see that you're resilient. And I say things like confidence are not built when things are going right. Confidence is what comes after something's gone wrong and you've figured out how to get past it. Yep. So I think the other thing that, that I observe, and of course I work on the campus of the University of Houston and, and run a public media station and have a lot of young employees, is they struggle with two things. One is boundaries because there's 24-hour access, right, with the phone. So we have to help them set up boundaries, which these truths do. And then the other is feedback. You know, there's been a lot of things out there about, oh, this generation needs to be, you know, rewarded for everything. I don't think that's true. What I think is these, think about it, they were born after the year 2000. 1995 sounds, it might as well be, you know, 1900 to them. (laughs) So 2000 and on, they have grown up in a very different time and they just really want to know that it's gonna be okay. They need feedback for reassurance and because they wanna know they're on the right track, not because they're praise junkies. I really disagree with that idea. Can I share with you one more thing as it relates um, to the importance of feedback and, and reassurance and guidance? Yeah, yes. That was okay, feedback. So was, that was feedback you know, for you. you know, just let me go on and on here. No, I'm so excited about this. I'm, I'm delighted. Go ahead. Go ahead. There was a story um, actually on NPR the other day, and children, I'm talking about much younger than 20, having big anxiety issues, can't sleep. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're anxious. They don't want to be left alone. So a psych, you know, the, the parents went to a psychologist and, and talked through all this. And, of course, the parents' instinct or a 10-year-old is to say, well, I'll stay with you till you fall asleep, right? You want to nurture, you want to love. Especially if you're a working parent, you probably have guilt, and so you lay with them till they fall asleep. And uh, whoever they were working with said, no, what you need to do is you need to go in there and you say, look, I'm going to be right outside this room. You're going to lay down for 10 minutes. After 10 minutes, I'm going to come in and check on you. You're going to be fine. I know you can do this. And so they did. And then over a period of time, the child was sleeping several hours at a time. So what was interesting to me is when they talked to the parents, they, you know, the parents had a big awakening and like, wow, we were the ones that needed to be trained. The child said, yeah, I felt anxious, but I kept hearing my mom say, you can do it. Right. You can do it. Well, that to me was, that was just very eye-opening. Yes, a 20-year-old needs to hear, you're doing fine. You're gonna, it's okay if you make a mistake. The world is not going to end. You will get up and you will learn from it and you will move on. You know, um, I could not agree more. As a matter of fact, one of the things that, that I show folks is this wonderful cartoon, Rose's Rose. And in, in this Rose's Rose, you know, like a newspaper cartoon, and there's this little boy playing baseball with his dad, but he is terrible. The kid can't hit it, he can't catch it, he can't throw it. But his dad says to him, you were amazing out there. And that little boy walks away smiling. 
And what the father is saying is he's not lying to the kid saying you're great at baseball because the kid isn't. But this kid is trying. And he's making mistakes and he's getting up and he's trying again. And that is what we want in our kids because that is resilience. That is an ability to really say, you know what? I am who I am and I may make mistakes, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to try it again. Right. And he wouldn't, the little boy in my feeling is would not be able to do that if he didn't trust that his father saw him as valuable. And the example you're giving, and I, I, I heard that NPR story as well. I thought it was terrific. Um, is what, what really is happening is we are conditioning our children to either be afraid or to feel confident. And the brain... All things you're only good at. That's right. And right, exactly. And not take chances. My, my, my eldest daughter, my Sophie, um, has a, a science comedy TV show that is really all about that. And her inspiration was Miss Frizzle, who was a cartoon. There, there were no... You know, I remember think, Miss Frizzle. Miss Frizzle? Magic School Bus? Exactly right. Yeah. Make mistakes, get dirty. It's okay. You can make mistakes. Uh, and, and that's what Sophie has done. And actually, if, if you go to her Facebook page, she just posted a major mistake that she made. She was doing a, a comedy bit in New York, and it bombed. But she put it out there so people knew, hey, it's okay to make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you are a failure. As a matter of fact, it takes enormous courage to try something and potentially make a mistake. Right. And that's confidence. And no no doubt she learned so much from that, right? Totally. Absolutely. So for me, um, the definition of success, and I assume success can translate to happy, is when you love going to work and love going home. I think it's that simple. You know, because if I love going to work and love going home, well, what else do I need? Right. That's happy. And that's, that's one of the concerns is, you know, how can our kids just, Chill a bit, relax. There, there were there were some wonderful things. Maybe, uh, let me ask you, um, what are your favorites? I mean, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot like that because they're you know each one of the twenty is is really profound. But are, are there some in particular that you think we should highlight? Well, I think the first five are fundamental, um, and that is always be in charge of your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Always listen before speaking. Listening is such an underrated skill. We talk and wait to talk as opposed to really, really listening. Um, always follow the golden rule. Um, I really believe in that. I believe in, in, in just A, being kind, but I do believe in the great karma out there and put out goodness and it really will come back to you. Always tell the truth. Um, the truth is, is hard. You really have to protect the truth. And it's not that anyone would really lie, but sometimes we repeat things and we don't know them to be true or we don't, our mind makes up stories where there's not information and then boom, that becomes a truth. Hmm. And then the last one, the, the fifth, would be always do as you say what you're going to do, which gets at the heart of trust. Right. If you don't have trust, you don't have anything. Yeah. And so you have to build trust by doing what you say you're going to do. And so I think those five are really fundamental. And how have you been applying these in your own life? If you don't mind me getting kind of shrinky, can't help it. <laughs> Not at all. I think I'm still working on number one. <laughs> 
because I think I uh, spent way too many years worrying about what other people thought and said about me. Classic pleaser. And if I had taken a little bit of that and put more in control of what I thought about me, um, I think I would have been definitely happier. And if I'm happier, my children are going to see a better example. Both of my children, they're very different, but one of them definitely worries more than he needs to. Mm. And the other one doesn't, doesn't, you know, she's kind of got that one down. Um, and um, just a little more carefree spirit. And definitely is naturally uh, more happy because of that. I mean, my son is happy too, but I'm just saying that worry thing, that worrying about what other people think, that's something I'm still working so I So I just want to say to your son, uh, don't worry about that. Um, okay, <laughs> and for and, starters, and just, and just be happy. <clears throat> He's now a father, and he gets so much joy and happiness. There's something, nothing about a, like a two-year-old to break you out of whatever you're worried about, and yeah. just you know, keep him out of trouble, right? So true, but it's so simple. <clears throat> yeah, don't worry, be happy. So simple, but yet it's so challenging for so many people. And why? Why is right. it so challenging? Well, that's what we're here to talk about. Well, why? Well, why do you, why do you think? Well, Mark? I think some of it's the biological domain, right? Some of it's the biological domain, so the anxiety and some other, you know, potential mental health issues that go along with it. But the IC domain, I think, has a huge component. I mean, you were just saying it yourself, Lisa. You were growing up concerned about what other people thought and pleasing other people, and that can be very taxing. Yeah to the point where you're not concerned about yourself as much because you're so focused on what right. you're supposed to be. And you're, or not, you're, you're not defining yourself. Right. And your thoughts aren't your thoughts, right? You're, they're these fictitious thoughts of, of what you're supposed to be doing as opposed, and you're, you're in a constant battle of, of your thoughts, right? right. I want to think this way, but I'm worried that I might be perceived the wrong way. And the I am is saying, okay, so that's your I am. Right. Right? But that doesn't mean you have to like it. But let's look at it. What are people so worried about? Why do you feel that you will be judged by others? What What would it mean if they judge you? Because remember, if somebody and else who judges, are they? That's their I am. Right. You know, I, I, had a, I had a kid just today who um, has been so bullied at school, so bullied, that he really wanted to end his life, uh, felt he had no value. And he began to realize, you know, again, using the I am tool, that, wow, if, if the best these people can do to feel valuable is to try to make me feel less valuable, yeah. what is going on with their I am? Right. What's happening in their home or social domain? What's happening in their biological domain? How do they see themselves? Mm. And that really helped this kid begin to shift from that limbic part of the brain, that emotional, irrational part, to start thinking, you know, uh, I'm actually okay. Remember there was that book, I'm Okay, You're Okay? Yes. Remember that book? Yes. It, it, today, I actually wanted to write a book that went, I'm okay, you suck. <laughs> because, you know, because that's what people think, Yeah. right? So, so now I want to write a book called, I'm okay, I'm okay? Yeah, you're okay. Go ahead, Lisa. Uh, and well, and you know, there's a little distortion, so sometimes I a little delayed on on when you stop talking. So I apologize. No, if no, I no, interrupted no. You. no, no, no. Go on. 
Um, the other thing that's helped me about worrying, and this as a parent, let's say, worrying about a child is, if I do that, I'm really not giving enough credit to them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm really undervaluing their ability to cope huh. and lead and be in charge of their lives. So that has helped me a lot, just switching that when I worry about the children. And then as far as it relates to worrying about other the way people think anymore, I when I start to go there, I realize what a complete waste of energy that is. And uh, because it won't change anything. And most people are far too worried about themselves to even be noticing you. And so um, that has helped me definitely a lot. Mostly now, I think my worry is borders on that courage thing. You know, I mean, there's a lot of just being out there when you're promoting a book. And although I've been in media, you know, it's it's not like it's a stranger to me. Um, this is a piece of work that, you know, you just don't know is how well is it going to be received and what have you. So there's a little there's a little courage piece. And that's all the more reason why I want to do it and and just push through that uh, and and be more brave and have the courage and be like your daughter and just say, I'm going to do this mm-hmm. and learn. Yeah. So um, having having also done the the book tour thing, I could not agree more. And I, and I think let's just give Janet Appel a shout out right now. So Janet yes, Appel, if you're listening, do. she was my publicist. She's your publicist, and she is tenacious. So this is a woman who goes out and promotes other people's books and says, "I believe in your book, and I'm going to get you on radio shows and TV shows, and then it's up to you." Uh, to to make people believe and how how is that experience for you it's fascinating isn't it what do you think well I think it's fascinating and Janet has been so wonderful because she made me do my homework on kind of writing questions out and what would you say here what would you answer here and what has kept me very focused on this is the why why I've been a mentor my whole life, not even really intending to be. When you think about it, a mentor is anybody that you, you know, helps you through the career path or just somebody that you might see occasionally for advice or maybe somebody you look up to. But I have mentored a lot of people. And now since I've been in the work world and as a manager for so many years, um, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And it's back to that thing, you know, David Brooks wrote a book, um, well, The Call to Character or something like that, and then the new one is The Second Mountain. And the first mountain's all about the resume, you know, the titles, the achievement, you know, what everybody does when they're trying to build their career. And the second mountain is about what you do for others. Yep. So I feel like that's where I am now. Uh, there's not really a title or anything like that that's going to make me feel the joy that I feel when I can sit across and I have a couple of uh, people I'm mentoring right now through a University of Houston program and then just others that I've stayed in touch with my career. Nothing can give me the joy like when I sit across and, and we have a conversation and you can see a light goes on and they go, well, I am in control of that. Well, right. well I can try that. And these young managers I'm talking to are going through that stage of they were the doers so now they have to transcend to be the person that oversees the doers 
and a lot of them still have feel like they need to do and control and uh, so it's just great to see them mature in those roles and it's definitely what's giving me joy so yes the book and the byproduct of the book and that is getting to mentor people that's great you know i i I couldn't help myself but think my daughter, my daughters may be listening to this. Why do we still use the word mentor and manager when we have all these women doing this? Shouldn't they be women tours and women managers? <laughs> I mean, think about it. I love it. it. You know? I love it. Right? That will be the next book. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. you know, you get, you get to work with people and, and help to influence their career paths. And this book, you know, I think is going to be helping so many people just just be more reflective. Mm. Just wonder, you know, wonder who am I? Why do I do what I do? And here are some basic, basic rules, you know. Rules. Yeah, that yeah. you can follow. Well, yeah, that's right, because, you know, usually people, when if you go to the opposite end of the uh, spectrum where people kind of stop in their career and they've sort of topped out, it's not because of the work skill, you know, the ability to do an Excel spreadsheet or the ability to um, do a, a P&L, you know, business sheet. They talk about because they're missing something in the social emotional category mm. and they can't lead because people won't follow them. Mm. And I'm not saying there's a fatal flaw, but there's a lack of awareness about their ability to um, either be trusted or follow the golden rule or listen. Yeah. You know, that they won't listen. Like their team tries to tell them something and they're not engaged and they don't listen. And so from that standpoint, this is, you know, the whole person and the whole person really is what gets you to your full potential. Yes. Not just your career skills. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, and, and I think, you know, the trust part, um, not only is it so critical, I believe, for other people to be consistent so you can be reliable and you can be trustworthy, um, but you have to be able to trust yourself. And for me, it's respect that leads to value and value leads to trust. In, in my, my um, profession in psychiatry, with psychiatry and addiction the the i think the reason why society has isolated these other folks and put them into disordered groups is because they worry they can't trust them that they may be erratic that their behaviors may not be what you expect um and while that may have some play in it we miss the fact that these people are remarkable that it's not them and us you know any of us can experience sadness and some people they get even more sad they get depressed anybody can worry about things but some people worry so much we call it anxiety mm -hmm. and again to come back to the book there are so many wonderful pivot points in the book that can help someone just trust themselves Here's some basic things. We all want the same thing. We want to feel valuable. And I think that, you know, these these always and nevers, they're universal. They're really on. That's what's so appealing about it. So, you know, I really hope people can, can take this and absorb it. 
because um, they're wonderful. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And um, I do really believe that they are um, universal and, and they are reminders. And um, things like gratitude, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen in your research about how gratitude is a game changer when you decide to really see all that you're grateful for. It keeps you from going overboard on worry and anxiety and, and depression. And of course, I realize there's you know, clinical things and, and, and other brain chemistry things going on. But where that isn't the case, it is, it is a decision to say, I'm gonna see what's going right and I'm going to build on it. And I think one more point I wanna make about what's important in the 20 for a young person is because there's so much about celebrity and we see competitions and uh, voice competitions and things like that, you have a lot of people saying, hey, you know, I want to be a YouTuber as a career. I'm not making any judgment about that. But what I, what I do think is important is, okay, if you want to be a YouTuber, you can't get on and make one YouTube and think that you're going to be viral. And even if you are viral, 30 days later, somebody else is viral. So I believe that number 18, always anchor your dreams to achievement. Mm is another thing that's important. That is what you get up and do every day. Forget this idea of being discovered. Get up and do the work and keep showing up. And it is persistence that wins the day. Ups and downs, stay focused, and your vision for you, it will change. But your vision for you and the good that it can be should be indestructible by anybody else, even the setbacks. And that becomes a reality through achievement and through the daily work. And so I think that's another really important one for someone that's starting out in their career. So we've got about a minute or so left. The I am has two principles. The first is small changes can have big effects. So I ask all our guests, what small change are you hoping to make that can have a big effect? For me, uh, personally, I really want to um, exercise a little bit more. And it's not just because of, you know, obviously having better blood pressure and things like that, but because there is such a mind-body connection, I feel more at peace. I feel that sense of accomplishment. And so I'm trying to go from working out one to two times a week to going three to four times a week, even if it's a 30-minute walk. Terrific. You think that's a small change I can do? Now, of course you can. And then... Does that sound like that's doable? Absolutely. Of course it is. Of course it is. And it will have a big effect. And then the yeah. second, you control no one, you influence everyone. What kind of influence do you hope your book will be? And you, what kind of influence do you want to be? I want to bring everyone greater peace and joy through the idea that they are have a great deal of control in their lives and that it is important that they set the standards for their life and their relationships and uh and because they do that they'll experience uh really more peace of mind you know and and joy terrific how can we get your book real quick give us the, give us the website the links how do we get it amazon amazon barnesandnoble.com and always and never books.com 
Lisa, thank you so much for being on our show tonight. And folks, check it out. There are only 20 things you can do it. Thank Joe, you, Lisa. Thank you, Dr. Joe. This has been such a pleasure, and you've been so welcoming, and I greatly appreciate it. All right. We'll be back. Thanks, Lisa. Uh -huh. We'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. <laughs>